After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. A most blessed celebration of All Saints Day to each and every one of you, a day in which we remember those whom we love, who have died in the faith, who are now with our Savior Jesus Christ, a day in which we can give thanks to God for them, for as much as maybe they reminded us that they were God's greatest gift, in fact, they were just that, God's gifts to us. It may also be a time in which we grant forgiveness. Forgiveness for what the saints may or may not have done unto us or left undone among us. There is a time for this too. And there is a time to mourn. But to mourn, as St. Paul says, as one with hope. Hope because we know whose our loved ones are. We know that they have gone into his good, gracious, and fatherly hands. We are bold to declare exactly what it is. It is All Saints Day. We don't celebrate today a specific class of Christians. All Christians together are counted as saints, as even St. Paul himself does in his writings, saints, holy ones, because, as John tells us, we have been made holy by the blood of the Lamb, our sins being completely and entirely cleansed from us. That great multitude gathered around the throne, a multitude, by the way, that in and of itself bespeaks God's graciousness, it is a multitude that cannot even be numbered. A great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that in their offspring, capital O and singular, all the nations of the earth, all the families of this world, would be blessed. And indeed, they are. We reckon ourselves blessed among them. This great crowd is described as standing around the throne of God. And I'm going to ask you to engage your minds and your imaginations and visualize what it is that St. John has revealed to us about this throne of God. When one approaches the throne of God, immediately one sees that there is a visage seated upon that throne. It is described in almost incomprehensible terms. The language of shining and sparkling and reflective light off of precious stones. It is a sight that is 
awesome and awful. And yet it is a sight that is also profoundly good. Because the one seated upon that throne, incomprehensible, unspeakable, is also shrouded with an umbrella, a sphere of all the colors of the spectrum. He who is pure light, reflecting that light out in all manner of colors, like unto the rainbow, reminding us that this awesome one seated upon the throne is gracious, the one who spared Noah and seven others, the one who has, through Christ, rescued all who believe in him. In front of this throne and in the midst of this throne is another awesome and awful visage, that of a lamb, but not a normal lamb, a lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. Unspeakable and amazing and yet also obviously and evidently good. For it is a lamb, and this lamb stands as one having been slain. We recognize that it is our very Lord Jesus, who so loved us, he laid down his life for us. Those seven eyes are compared to the seven spirits, the sevenfold Holy Spirit of God, which, by the way, is blurred with the seven great torches or the sevenfold candelabras, such that if you were to look at the throne of God, you would see the, this sevenfold torches, you would see the flames, you would recognize that as the Holy Spirit. These flames, these seven flames, are the seven eyes of the Lamb who then shows us and reveals to us the image of the one seated upon the throne. That is to say, we see one God in three persons. We have our eyes enlightened by the goodness of the Holy Spirit who reveals to us Christ and Christ who is the image of the one seated upon the throne. It is this vision, this sight, that is the very essence of heaven and paradise. It is this vision and this sight that we were created for. All the longing and restlessness of our hearts, of our beings, will finally be satisfied and met as we gaze upon the image of God. And indeed, this will constitute the very heart and essence of all eternity in heaven to see and meditate and contemplate Almighty God in these three persons. Lest we get the idea that heaven is a lonely place where it's just you and the throne, we are, of course, told of innumerable angels gathered around this throne. And if you're thinking that all these angels look exactly the same one unto another, you haven't been paying attention to what the scriptures say. These angels are wonderfully and unspeakably 
diverse. If you're thinking the way the artists depict them, especially around Christmas, that this must be an army of chubby, naked babies, then you've got it really wrong. Well-intended but misleading. Why do artists depict angels in this way? To show to us that they are mild and gentle and lovable and good. But we must not lose the other side of that, that every time an angel appears to man in the scriptures, he says, do not be afraid. The scriptures describe the angels in myriad ways. Angels immense in size and stature. Angels made of almost impossible to comprehend geometrical shapes. Angels with two wings, angels with six wings, angels covered with eyes on the outside, some covered with eyes on the inside. Angels so immense that they've got one leg standing in the depths of the sea and the other upon the land, and their head reaching up into the clouds and heights of heaven. Angels of all diverse description are gathered there around the throne in wonder and splendor. And they say, Amen, blessing, one, glory, two, wisdom, three, thanksgiving, four, honor, five, power, six, and might, seven, be to our God forever and ever, amen. The sevenfold angelic praise. We learn from them now and then what the proper reaction to the revelation of God is. It is song, and it is praise. One of the medieval fathers, Thomas Aquinas, speculated, you don't have to follow him on this, but it's interesting, speculated that each angel was so diverse he was a species unto himself. We are dealing, after all, with the God who even here on earth creates such a diversity of life from the smallest microscopic forms of life all the way up to humanity. It would be unlike him to not have done the same with the angels. St. Chrysostom, one of the greatest preachers the church has known, says that this is far and away the greatest treasure of heaven. Not only that we would enjoy God, that we would enjoy Christ, but that we would also enjoy all the angels as well. It is a wonderful vision and reality that exists and that is revealed unto us this day. I have a challenge for you. If this seems to your mind to be something fictitious, something disconnected from the real world, might I submit to you that what you think to be the real world isn't the real world at all. It's rather the delusion that each one of us by nature suffers from, that we do not see this world as it truly is. The lies and the manipulations of the evil one blind our eyes to the cosmic reality that exists all around us, revealed to us by God. 
as we gather here today for divine service, we participate in that heavenly liturgy revealed to us by St. John. That's why in a few moments we will say with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify the glorious name of our God. When Christ makes himself present here in his holy supper, there is not two Christs, one in heaven and one on earth, but one Christ here with us, heaven and earth brought together. When we contemplate those who have died in the faith, it is this reality that they receive not by faith, but by sight. They see it as it is, and we too will see it soon ourselves. As we contemplate the saints, we contemplate not only their faith, not only their way of life, but also our own mortality. That just as it seemed impossible that they should ever pass, so also it seems impossible to us that we should ever pass. And yet it is nothing but illusion that keeps us from the reality that each and every moment could be our last. Each and every moment is but a temporary and temporal affliction, challenge, struggle, joy until we are translated into that kingdom which is eternal. That means that a heart of wisdom would consist in living from that eternal perspective, these short and passing days of shadow, living grounded in that greater reality, not in the sinful delusions that are here for a moment and then pass away. An elder asks John, who are these gathered around the throne? clothed in white with the palm branches in their hands. John answers safely, Sir, you know. Why don't you answer? And he does. These are the ones coming, present tense, out of the great tribulation. What John saw were the saints who die in the Lord each and every day, the saints translated into heaven, ongoing present tense. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. It's that strange heavenly laundry where the crimson of our sins meets the crimson of Christ's blood, and the end result is that our garments are white and undefiled. Every single human being in heaven is a sinner cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If our sins were known publicly, each one of us would be utterly and eternally put to shame. But that blood of Christ cleanses us even now in such a way that upon death, our sins are forever separated from us as the East is from the West. There are no second-class citizens 
no second-class Christians in heaven, nor are there, in fact, in the church of Christ here on earth. We are all one regardless of intellectual ability or disability, physical ability or disability, spiritual ability or disability. We are all one together, cleansed by the blood of Christ. And as the elder continues to teach, we glimpse other curious realities about what it will be like in heaven. If you were picturing floating around disembodied on a cloud with a harp in your hand, endlessly and forever bored, then I'm sorry to disappoint. Heaven is a busy, active, dynamic, wonderful place, and the last thing you will ever be is bored. In fact, that's probably one of the meta-heresies, arch-heresies of our day, that Christianity has not been rendered false, but boring. And only enlightened by the scriptures can we free ourselves from this meta and arch-heresy that springs from apatheia, from apathy, from having our eyes pumped full of the images of the world and the garbage that flows into our eyes as we scroll endlessly, pondering nothing more than that which is six inches from our nose and which is all passing away. This is what Christ and St. Paul and John mean when they direct our eyes and our attention heavenward to dwell on these true and lasting realities that will shape and form everything we see and experience. Heaven is a busy place. It's a restful place, but notice what the elder says. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Where are our loved ones who have gone before us and where will we be? In the temple of our God, as royal priests, serving him in holy liturgy forever, sheltered and protected by him forever, without care, without fear, without worry. The elder goes on to say, they shall hunger and thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Every bodily and spiritual need will be met. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. What a delightful image that the lamb who is slain for us is the shepherd who shepherds and guides us. As the elder says, to springs of living water. That is to say, in the heavenly places we will be refreshed. We will be made fully alive. We will recover from our toils and labors here below. And last but not least, we are told that none other than God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Wait a minute. Tears in heaven? Maybe so. 
but the healing of those tears and those hurts and those wounds and the very hand of God our Father wiping those tears from our eyes. Indeed, even now, we can almost feel his fatherly hands upon our shoulders and upon our faces as he wipes away our tears as we mourn for those who have gone on ahead of us. He wipes away our tears with the knowledge of who he is, his goodness unspeakably good. He gives us the knowledge of where our loved ones are with him and with all his heavenly angels, safer than they ever were here with us, more alive than they were ever here with us, and surrounded by a closer and tighter-knit family than they had ever known before. There with God and angels and saints, finally at home with our Lord, where we soon will be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.